millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As a season. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist visit juvederm.com that's j-u-v-e-d-e-r-m.com not for people with severe allergic reactions allergies to lidocaine or the proteins used in juvederm common side effects include injection site redness swelling pain tenderness firmness lumps bumps bruising discoloration or itching there's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormal Normalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The United States Coast Guard officer, I had seen my fair share of danger. Yet the mission assigned to my team felt like a leap into the unknown. A radical faction within the Chinese military had seized control of an advanced naval warship in the South China Sea. Our mission to covertly retake the ship neutralize the faction, and avert an international incident. As we approached the commandeered vessel under the cover of darkness, I could feel the weight of the situation. This was no ordinary pirate situation or smuggling operation. 
It was a high-stakes game of chess with real human lives and global peace at stake. Navigating through the ship was like moving through a labyrinth. Corridors snaked in all directions, rooms filled with advanced techs and hidden traps designed to thwart any invader. But we pressed on, relying on our training and instincts. We met resistance, fierce and determined. These radicals were soldiers trained and ready to die for their cause. Gunfire echoed through the steel halls, the scent of cordite filling the air. Yet, we pushed forward, systematically neutralizing the enemy and taking control of the ship, section by section. In the ship's command center, we found more than just the faction's leaders. We discovered evidence of a conspiracy that spanned continents, reaching the highest levels of international politics. Allies who were enemies. Enemies who were allies, it was a tangled web of deceit and manipulation. Our mission was a success, but the victory felt hollow. The ship was ours, the faction neutralized. Yet the conspiracy we had uncovered left us questioning everything. Whom could we trust? Who were we really serving? The aftermath was a whirlwind of debriefings and covert meetings. The truth, we were told, was to be buried, kept from the public for the sake of national security. We were heroes in the shadows, saviors of a peace that was more fragile than we had known. Looking back, I realized that mission changed us. We were no longer just Coast Guard officers. We were pawns in a bigger game, a game we were only beginning to understand. But we were ready to confront it, whatever it took. Because at the end of the day, our loyalty wasn't to the secrets or the conspiracies. It was to the truth, and to the people we had sworn to protect. When I was a teenager and in my early twenties university, I had quite a lot of unexplained experiences. I didn't have anyone to guide me on how to hone my sensitivity, so I think I was left open to be vulnerable. Among other things, I was often visited in dreams visions by the so-called Hat Man. I always understood him to be not of God. Not Satan himself, but definitely something coming from that realm. I had a few encounters with him. No face, just a dark silhouette with a hat and overcoat, and often accompanied by small demons. In most cases, these visions were extremely long ordeals, and often would result in testing my faith. There was one time, I was probably around 18, in which I was in a rather surreal landscape. Very much like a Dali painting. Not actually a Dali painting, but that kind of atmosphere. There was a moving staircase that was made of innumerable oddly shaped objects. Some were geometric, others were everyday objects, and all sort of moving in the same fashion as an escalator works. I was placed upon this thing, and I uh, required to ascend it, and it was not easy because the various objects were not connected to each other, but they were firmly in position, so I was able to support my body wear, stepping on them like going up a flight of stairs. However, everything was in motion. The staircase also moved higher into the air and further away from the... I guess it was a sort of desert down before, clearly an unpleasant place. I seem to recall a very ruddy, dusty coloration of everything. 
The objective was to ascend the staircase and do everything to not fall between the cracks. And the only way to ascend was through my faith in God. I remember it being arduous and frightening. I was constantly calling out to angels and to God to help me. The happen always just there silently watching. The little laughing imps beneath grabbing up at my ankles. Every so often I'd miss my footing, but then got back on again. I don't know how long it lasted, but it felt like an extremely long time. Another episode, he took me to an old Victorian-style house. It was nighttime, but there was an unidentified exterior light source, a sort of yellow-orange glow. Hatman was always able to communicate to me, but not through words. I never felt direct fear in his presence, but I was fearful whenever he would appear because I knew he was bad and that I would have to submit to another intense ordeal. For years after, I would get anxious just thinking about him. But over time, and seeing that so many other people have experienced him in guises has helped me to relax about it. Anyway, in this house, full of old objects, much like you would find in a good quality antique store, I was handed this sort of goblet chalice that had five spherical encasings within it, about the size between a golf and tennis ball. I was made to understand that I would have to dodge a series of objects whilst catching five orbs into their specific places within the chalice. This is before I knew anything about Harry Potter and Quidditch, but you can sort of imagine it like having five snitches to catch. It was an exhausting ordeal. Not in the least bit frightening, but I was besieged with tiny flying demons, various objects, and these orbs. I have no idea what they were, exactly, or what they were made of, were hard to catch. I ultimately caught three of five and was made to feel as though I hadn't done well enough, but just enough for the time being. There was another element of testing my faith in this episode. And I remember the next day speaking to a friend about it who worshipped in a Pentecostal church and had the gift of the discernment of spirits. I am Catholic, but we often shared this kind of gift and a sense of prophesy. There were other Hatman episodes when I was young which were more terrifying, but I have less recollection of their exact nature. After I witnessed the demon attached to a girl I went to school with, I made a post about it in one of the forums. Combined with a desire to no longer see Hatman, I closed down those receptors. Haven't seen him or any demons since. I always thought I had seen it all. As a ranger at the National Park, I had patrolled some of the most remote and secluded areas of the wilderness. But nothing could have prepared me for what I stumbled upon one evening. It was just another routine patrol, or so I thought. The sun had already set, and the thick trees surrounding me cast long shadows on the ground. I was making my way through a dense section of the park when I noticed something strange. There, in the middle of the woods, was a staircase. It wasn't like any staircase I had ever seen before. It was old, made of stone, and looked like it had been there for centuries. But what was even stranger was that it seemed to lead nowhere. It just went up and ended abruptly in mid-air. Curiosity got the better of me, and I decided to climb the stairs. As I reached the top, I felt a strange sensation, like the ground beneath me was shifting. 
When I looked around, I realized I was no longer in the same place. The woods looked different. I couldn't recognize any of the trees or landmarks around me. It was then that I saw an abandoned cabin in the distance. It looked like it had been left untouched for years, and there was an eerie silence that surrounded it. I approached the cabin slowly, trying to be as quiet as possible. As I peered through the window, I saw something that made my blood run cold. Inside the cabin, there were various scientific instruments and research papers scattered around. But what caught my eye was a cage in the corner of the room. It was empty, but it looked like it had been used to contain something large and dangerous. As I continued to explore the cabin, I found more evidence of some kind of cryptid. There were photographs of strange creatures that could shape, shift, and blend in with their surroundings. It was unlike anything I had ever seen or heard of before. Suddenly, I heard a sound coming from outside. It was a low growl, and it sounded like it was getting closer. I quickly realized that I had to get out of there. But as I turned to leave, I found that the cabin had disappeared, and I was lost in the woods. I tried to retrace my steps, but everything looked different, and I couldn't find my way back. As the hours turned into days and the days turned into weeks, I began to lose hope. I was alone, lost, and afraid. The cryptid that had been studied in the cabin was nowhere to be seen, but I knew that it was out there somewhere. As the weeks turned into months, I began to lose my mind. I could hear strange noises and see things that I couldn't explain. I knew that the cryptid was toying with me, and that it was only a matter of time before it made its move. I had always loved camping. There was something about being out in the wilderness, away from the noise and distractions of the city, that brought me a sense of peace. So, when my friends suggested we take a camping trip to a remote national park, I was all in. We arrived at the park in the late afternoon and set up camp in a clearing deep in the woods. The sun was setting and we huddled around the campfire, roasting marshmallows and telling ghost stories. It was the perfect start to our trip. But as the night wore on, things started to get strange. It started with a rustling in the bushes, which we dismissed as a deer or some other animal. But then we heard footsteps and whispers, and the sound of twigs snapping underfoot. At first, we thought it was just our imaginations playing tricks on us. But then we saw something moving in the shadows, watching us from the edge of the clearing. It was too dark to make out any details, but we could tell it was something big, and it was getting bolder by the hour. We tried to ignore it, telling ourselves that it was just a bear or a wolf, but deep down we knew something was wrong. The air was thick with an oppressive feeling of unease, and we couldn't shake the feeling that we were being watched. As the night wore on, the sounds grew louder and more frequent. We heard growling and snarling and the sound of claws scraping against tree bark. We tried to stay calm, but our nerves were frayed and we were on edge. It was then that we realized we were not alone in the woods. There was something out there, something watching us, and it was getting closer. We huddled together, our hearts pounding in our chests, as the creature emerged from the shadows. It was like nothing we had ever seen before, a hulking mass of fur and muscle with gleaming eyes and razor-sharp teeth. We ran, our screams echoing through the forest as we fled into the night. 
We didn't stop until we were miles away from the campsite, and even then we could still feel its eyes on us. In the days that followed, we tried to make sense of what had happened. We reported the incident to the park rangers, but they dismissed it as a bear sighting. But we knew what we had seen, and we knew it was something far more terrifying than any ordinary animal. From that day on, I could never go camping again without the nagging feeling that something was watching me from the woods. And even now, years later, I can still hear the sound of twigs snapping underfoot and the growl of the creature that haunted our dream. Hello, I've been taking walks on the park 20 kilometers away from my home. It's surrounded by mountains, and the very wide walking trail is in the middle with also a road for cars. I take my runs there sometimes, and a few weeks ago I saw a bald man with a very interesting face. Blue-drawn eyes, around 55, 60 years old, black coat, and a very correct walk, like he's some aristocrat or something. He seemed very interesting dude, but... I paid no more attention and forgot it. One week later, I took a walk with my girlfriend, and I see this man coming in our path. We cross paths, and he says, good afternoon. I say it back and continue. My girlfriend also stated that he looks creepy, and I told her he's probably just being polite. Note in my country, no one says hello without knowing you, so it was kind of odd. Now we've been joking about what if this guy turns out to be something non-human and all that, but I really didn't think much of it. This week I took a walk at night with my girlfriend, and we were walking besides the main trail in a higher trail. By five meters away, and I see him walking down an opposite path, and out of nowhere he's staring at me and starts coming up. I tell my girl, look, it's that guy, and she freaks out. I kind of do, too. We continue walking and we turn our back, but he hasn't climbed. We go down to the main trail and see he's still walking his way, and we continue our walk, then go home. Just the other night, I had a thought about that guy climbing his way out to us in the walking park, and it turned to reality. Now, I don't expect people to know what exactly is the thing with this guy, but just wanted to talk about it. Maybe we are judging him, and... Nothing is wrong with him, but his face is just so odd, and his energy, too. It's not that I felt threatened by it, but just creeped. It was a very hot summer night. I was coming back from Virginia Beach, and I and my girlfriend at the time were together by the time I got to Mississippi. I had left Virginia early in the morning in the car. By the time I got to Mississippi, Highway 59, it was already close to midnight. Or maybe one in the morning. Highway 59 in eastern Mississippi is very, very lonely. You just have Highway 59 with the traffic going that way and the traffic coming this way. And you've got tall trees on both sides and nothing else. Maybe you might have a little rest area or a little mom and pop gas station every 15 or 20 miles. But in between, there is nothing. As I drove that night, and I was tired, and I was on the road from the morning since the state of Virginia, my girlfriend was already asleep, and my little boy was in the back seat. Because I'm a night person, I didn't have a problem staying awake. As I drove down that highway on the side, I saw a man. A man walking. Walking kind of fast. Looking down. 
very tall-looking man that I thought was wearing a coat. I thought, what in the hell is he doing here? First of all, why in the hell is he wearing a damn coat in this hot Mississippi night? I said, honey, I saw a man walking all alone. I need to help him. She said, are you crazy? I said, no, I'm not going to offer him a ride. I'm going to get him some money so that way, as soon as he gets to the next town, he can get a room or buy himself a nice hot meal or whatever. So I put the car in reverse to make sure that I wouldn't get ahead. I was already about 2,000 feet ahead of him, but I was going in reverse, and he was closer to the woods. He was actually on the shoulder of the highway. I stopped the car, and he stops. He looks at me, and I notice a massive man, and my eyes are trying to adjust to the darkness of the night, and I said, Sir, Sir, I would like to offer you some money, sir, so that way you could rent a room in the next town. He looks at me, and I realized I was not looking at a man. He made a loud, loud screeching sound that even today my ears hurt, and then he ran into the woods. And I was so horrified, I got in that car, and I said, Honey, I didn't say anything else. I put the car in first gear, and I drove eighty, five miles an hour, and my girlfriend was like, What happened? What happened, honey? What did he do to you? I said, honey, it wasn't a man, it was Sasquatch. I just had an encounter with Bigfoot. Later on, I realized that there have been stories dating back to the 1800s and 1700s about the Mississippi Monkey Man. Stories passed on by the slave Indians, people from back then about the Mississippi Monkey Man. Now I went on vacation with my aunt and uncle in the early 90s, probably 91 or 92. I was 11 or 12. They had no kids and could sometimes drink too much and be unpleasant. They drove a big fifth-wheel type RV and would park it for a few days at a time at various campsites. One night, while in rural Texas, we parked and they got into a very unpleasant argument, and I decided to run away. In my child's mindset, more likely I decided to get their attention and scare them into halting their fight. I took my backpack, some sodas, a flashlight, and chips. It was probably 10 or 11 p.m., and it was a very hot night, and there was a very bright moon out. I started to wander off into the woods and followed an old-looking wire fence that was probably six or eight feet tall. I must have walked for 30 or 45 minutes, and I came to a clearing. I slipped under the fence where the ground had eroded and walked probably a good two miles, three kilometers, along the tree line that bordered the clearing. There were occasional concrete structures that looked like they were from the 50s or 60s. I went into the largest one in the main room, which was three-fourths of the structure, was perhaps 20 feet by 30 feet with no windows and empty except for some rusted out chairs and what looked like elevator doors against the far wall where you would expect an entrance to the other section of the building. In the opposite corner was a hatch with a metal ladder protruding. I tried to open the elevator looking doors but they wouldn't pry open or I wasn't strong enough. So I put on backpack and decided I would climb down the ladder of the hatch and see if there was a basement. After about what had to be 100 rungs, I started to get really freaked out and panicky. 
My backpack was on and I had no way to grab my flashlight without taking a hand off the ladder, which I was terrified to do. I felt like it was more energy for some reason to start heading back up the ladder, so I just kept slowly shuffling down, letting gravity do most of the work. I decided after what had to be another 100 rungs that I'd made a huge mistake and started crying. I didn't feel like I'd ever make it back up. I kept going down and down and down. In my mind, I thought if I could somehow reach the bottom that I'd be able to rest, drink a soda, and then make it back up. After what seemed like 45 minutes or maybe longer, my feet hit the ground. I got out my light and shined it around. I could see similar elevator doors like from above that matched the location of the others. However, opposite those was a curved tunnel that was lined with some sort of ceramic-looking tile that felt rough like stone. I shined by light down it and the distance swallowed it up. What was weird is that it smelled very much like the ocean and there was a very cool breeze and sort of an electric hum like your neighbor's central air conditioner unit running in the quiet of the night. I rested for maybe fifteen minutes. Too terrified to go down that tunnel until I felt refreshed enough to climb back up the ladder. I tried to count the rungs but lost count at about fifty when I heard feet shuffling below me and could see the hole beneath my feet illuminate with light. Through the wall I could hear what had to be that elevator starting to ascend upwards. I have been very fortunate in my life, and when I was eighteen years old I went on a two-month canoeing trip through a young men's Christian association camp. We went into northern Nunavut, Canada. Google Maps Gary Lake for a good idea where this was. So my guide is in the stern of the canoe, and I'm in the bow, front. It's currently drizzling, cold, and we are ready to set up camp to be done for the day. Suddenly I hear my guide make a noise between surprise and terror. It wasn't a scream, but it wasn't a normal noise. Then I feel the canoe wobble. Now I think that it's from him moving around. But when I turn around to look at him, I see something that my mind wasn't ready to comprehend. It was the dorsal fin of a fish, and its back. It was still mostly submerged. But there was three feet in length of fish and what seemed like a table of width. Keep in mind that this is fresh water. There are no saltwater monsters that come from the ocean up here. I look at my guide in terror because I'm afraid it's going to numb into us again and tip us because of the amount of gear we only had three inches of freeboard. He looks back at me and gets one of those crazy idea smiles on his face. I understand what he wants to do right away. He starts to get the fishing rod with the 30-pound test line as I find the net to help catch it. He puts the spoon on his lure and puts the line in the water and we could do out with the line dragging a little bit behind us. We wait for about two minutes and we get a bite. It was a small fish for up there low. It was about 10 pounds and 20-ish inches. He reels it in and I try to get it in the net. Except I half up and it swims away real fast. So my guide is fighting this fish to get back when the big-ass fish comes along and eats the fish we've been trying to get off the line. Now, by the transitive property of the small fish we caught being inside the big fish, we have the big fish on the line. So it should be an easy-peasy, just reel it in right. No, 
That fish swims away at a leisurely pace, and it drags us with it. Our canoe that weighs about 900 pounds with us inside it is being dragged along by this fish. I start freaking out because, you know, no, we messed with something in its domain, and it has more power than we do. So I ask, what do we do? And my guide just says, paddle hard. White water strokes. So I paddle hard, and my guide steers us to the nearest shoreline. After a very difficult paddle, we get there and hop up. My guide fights the fish for about ten minutes to tire it out while we come up with a plan. I stand out in the water, freezing my ass off, but standing still so I appear to just be a big rock to the fish. Once the fish seems to be sufficiently tired, my guide slowly reeled it in near me. It drifts up to me, and I bear-hug it out of the water. Now, allow me to explain the dimensions of this fish. It was longer than my leg, about four feet, and it had a circumference of about a circular human chest. As I bear hug, it was realized that I was not ready for this big of a fish. I will underestimate. I actually am. This is an old man fishing story. And say it weighed 40. 45 pounds. So I get it partly in the air and the fish wriggles. That wriggle almost put me in the water and allowed the fish to go free. My guide panics and tries to reel the fish in. Instead of that, he ripped the smaller fish out of its stomach. The monster fish. Oh, for those curious, I think it was a lake trout. Gets away and the small fish is partly digested. The whole experience was so spooky to me because I realized how easily nature will dwarf human strength. I understood more what lurks in the waters, and I was terrified that there were probably fish that ate the big fish just like the big fish ate the smaller fish. I have more stories like this from that trip, but I think that one freaked me out the most. I used to have about an hour-long commute home through a very rural area. One particular evening, part of the main road I always took was closed, so there was a detour down a one-lane gravel road. The last stretch before you reach the highway again and is perfectly straight, and there is nothing but perfectly flat fields on either side of the road for the better part of a mile. Also, this road isn't really elevated above the level of the fields on either side, and the fields were empty at that time. Flat. It wasn't completely dark yet, but very nearly, clear sky, and it was a dead still night. I was about to start slowing down when I saw something to the left side of the road, coming toward the road. It looked wispy, and I couldn't quite make out what it was. Then it seemed to jump in a smooth arc straight over the roadway, maybe a foot or two high, and the only way I can describe it is, it looked like a ghost fox like it wasn't solid and left sort of a smoky trail behind it. I stopped immediately and looked out to the right in the direction it had gone, and there was nothing. I can still see it in my mind, clear as day. I think it must have been just the perfect storm for me to have a mild hallucination. Only thing I can figure. Just a random thing that happened in my brain. My first, though, afterward was a piece of clear plastic blowing in the wind, and my brain distorted it. But there was no wind, and there was nothing there immediately after. Also, it didn't happen that fast, and I had a moment to take it in, and... 
ghost fox. That's what I saw. I don't believe that's what it was. I am a Native American tracker. It's a skill that's been passed down through my family for generations. I grew up hearing stories of my ancestors tracking down prey in the forests, and the skills I have honed over the years are a testament to their legacy. I was called in to find a group of hunters who had gone missing in the National Park. The park was a sprawling wilderness, and the hunters had ventured deep into the woods. I set out early in the morning, following their trail as I navigated through the dense foliage. As I made my way deeper into the forest, I started to notice strange things. The trees seemed to be thicker, and the animals were quiet. It was as if the forest was holding its breath. I shrugged it off as just a trick of the mind and continued on. But then I came across something that stopped me in my tracks. The hunters had made a campsite, but it had been torn apart. There were scraps of cloth and equipment scattered around, and the ground was stained with blood. It was clear that something had attacked them, but what could it have been? I followed the trail of destruction, hoping to find any clue that could lead me to the hunters. It was then that I heard the first howl. It was a deep, guttural sound that sent shivers down my spine. I tried to tell myself that it was just a wolf, but I knew deep down that it was something more. I continued on following the trail until I came across the clearing. That's when I saw it. A creature unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was tall and thin, with antlers that protruded from its head. Its eyes glowed with an unnatural light, and its skin was stretched tight over its bones. I knew immediately what it was. A wendigo. It was a creature from our local legends a being that was said to inhabit the darkest corners of the forest. And here it was, standing before me. I tried to back away slowly, but the windigo moved with lightning speed. It tackled me to the ground, and I felt its claws. I struggled to break free, and I managed to do it. In that moment, something strange happened. The windigo suddenly released me and disappeared into the forest. I lay there, shaken and confused, trying to make sense of what had just happened. I decided to rent a cabin way up in northern Michigan for a week with my sister Tanya. My sister is a writer, and this was also what she needed because she hadn't written in two weeks. So, off we went. It was late May and still quite chilly, but we didn't care about the weather because we weren't there for sunbathing on the beach. The cottage was rustic but recently redone, and it was located on a small pond but was surrounded by thick wood. Our cottage was the last one down a long dirt road. The cottage owner had put in several really nice long trails because if not then, nobody was enjoying the woods. The first day we were unloading our luggage from the car and a young guy and his mom walked up the driveway. They introduced themselves and said they owned the house a little way down the road and they went for walks a few times a week for exercise past the cottage. The mother, Linda mentioned that her husband had passed away a few years earlier and of course I told her that I lost my husband Josh a few months earlier as well. Linda looked so sad for me but her son Brendan had a smirk on his face which really creeped me out. Linda seemed to notice this as well and said, 
Okay, let's leave these ladies to unpack, and then said their goodbyes. I was unnerved by the way Brendan looked at me, and I noticed he kept looking back at me as they walked away. On the first day, we just hung around the cabin. The next day, I went for a walk alone so Tanya could get some writing done. I chose the path the owner said was the easiest. I had been walking for ten minutes when I heard the sound of a small animal moving through the underbrush, maybe something the size of a rat. So I stopped to listen, and when I stopped, the rustling stopped. I happened to glance back, and I saw the shape of a human standing behind the thicket. I thought it was Brandon, so I turned and kept walking. Uh, it was almost halfway, and I'd see a tree about thirty feet in front of me, but completely surrounded by the same thicket. I saw what again I perceived to be a naked Brandon. I couldn't see clearly because he was shrouded in darkness, but I saw him perched on the bottom limb of a tree, just crouched there staring at me. I could see one hand holding the limb he was crouched on, and his other arm was wrapped around the tree trunk. But now that I look back and I know what I was looking at, I can't believe I thought it was Brandon. A day or two later, I was finally able to pull Tanya away from her laptop, and we were on the porch to watch the sunset. We distinctly heard a wolf howl from at least the other side of the pond. We agreed it was really close, but we weren't too worried. We were more worried about the mother bears, as we were told by Linda and the cabin owner, that we needed to keep the bear spray on us at all times, because the cubs were very young, and the mothers were really protected. About ten minutes later, we heard an animal screaming. Oh my gosh! We were both saying and covering our ears. Tanya was saying, this is too close to nature for me. Then Tanya went in to use the bathroom, and when she came back, she said, What is that? and pointed to the wood line. I saw the shrubs shaking, then an animal came out of the woods with a baby deer hanging from its mouth. The baby wasn't just a newborn. We looked at pictures showing various ages, and it was probably two weeks old, approximately. We are not country girls, so please don't get on me for being wrong. Anyway, Tanya said no. I don't want to see this, and she went inside. I sat looking at this animal. I was fairly certain the fawn was already dead, or I would have done something at least I'd like to think I would have. What, I don't know. But regardless, I was trying to figure out what this animal was. It was walking into the open from the woods. It dropped the fawn from its mouth. Then it started sniffing it. I was fairly certain that this was a very large wolf with a case of the mange because its hair was thick around the neck like a lion's mane and it was thin to bare in spots. Its rear end was bald and I didn't even see a tail. I noticed it looked almost deformed because the back end sat way lower than the front. The animal seemed almost mesmerized by the fawn. It stared and sniffed at it. Then it pushed it forward or over by using its nose. Then it picked it up by the mouth and started shaking. It sighed to side viciously. Then it started biting into the midsection, and when it lifted its head to chew, you could clearly see intestines hanging out of its mouth. Now believe, I let out a sound at that point because it looked at me surprised and then ran at about ten feet to the large tree. It turned around and literally stood on its back legs. Oh, oh my gosh. I realized... This was the thing I saw up in the tree. I could clearly see the eyes were rusty-colored, and they were illuminated. They were glowing from the inside. 
It was starting to turn dusk. It just continued to stand there behind that tree. It seemed to be apprehensive a little, but it was staring at me, and then it would look towards the fawn. At one point I thought I saw it lift its lip and the whole muzzle started to vibrate like it was trying not to bare its teeth. Finally, it got down on all four feet and started walking slowly to the fawn. When it was almost there, it swung its head in my direction and let out a low, menacing growl. At the same time, it bared its teeth. This animal was at least four hundred pounds. It could be even bigger, but I'm afraid that the naysayers will call me a liar. This animal was at least three to four times as big as my German Shepherd. All the way around its head was huge, but what really terrified me was when it sneered at me and went down for the fawn. Its teeth were at least three inches long, sharp and jagged. When it got to the fawn, it picked it up in its mouth and took off at a fast slope. We didn't leave for walks after that. We barely left the cabin. When we did leave the last day, we drove over to that tree, and I got out and stood beside where it stood, and I can say without a doubt, it was well over six and a half to seven and a half feet tall. We drove past Linda's house, and on second thought, I asked Tanya to turn back around. I wanted to tell them what we saw. Linda was genuinely concerned and seemed shocked to hear what we saw. She appreciated that we thought enough to stop. When we got home, we called the landlord, and he said straight away that we were warned to carry bear spray, so I just left it at that. I figured he thought we wanted our money back, and that wasn't the case. So that's our story. I'm pretty sure it wasn't a Bigfoot.